Welcome to the Leadership Exposé podcast. This podcast is for purpose-driven leaders at diverse levels and organizations around the world who are seeking to scale and transform their leadership to level up their business and to create an impact in the lives of people all around them. Business and boardroom topics, trends, innovation, transformation, and the intersection with leadership is the focus. We enable success. I'm your host, Stephen Paul. In this episode, I'm excited to have Maggie Kaye. Maggie serves uh, currently as the Chief Information Security Officer at Verisent. For over two decades, she has held several leadership roles in the financial, insurance and retail and technology sectors. She has successfully embedded tone at the top in management and oversight of cybersecurity and risk management programs, supporting business objectives, innovation and digital transformation. She's a speaker and has been recognized as a leader and influencer by several publications such as Canada's Top 20 Women in Cybersecurity. We'll discuss with Maggie about the important topics of information security and risk management, the evolution of cybersecurity teams and relationships of this within executives and the board. Maggie, welcome. How are you doing today? Hi, good morning. Uh, or good afternoon over there. <laughs> it's, a good, it's, a, it's a good start. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me here. I'm, I'm doing very well. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a cold day today, but uh, in Canada, I'm uh, in uh, Toronto, uh, just north of Toronto, actually, in Markham. So uh, thank you for having me here today. You know, Maggie, just before the podcast, we were just reminiscing on uh, how we had partnered together um, and, you know, for the purpose of our audience here. And I mean, like we we partnered over a decade ago back in, in Canada and, uh, um, you know, I've, I've always valued your opinion. So I'm, I'm really I'm really excited to have you on the show today, Maggie. Thank you very much for making the time. Thank you. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, when uh, we worked together, I was thinking that I would uh, get out of uh, information security and uh and so i was giving a, a try to risk management and uh and regulatory work which uh, uh funny enough ended up being uh, another area of security where i specialize in so yeah, yeah i'm glad that in uh, our journeys are always uh you know uh they're not straight yeah. <laughs> they kind of go uh, uh in different uh, ways, sideways, and then uh, eventually I made it back into uh, into security as uh, that clearly was my passion. Mm-hmm. But uh, then I enhanced my skills in risk management in the information security space. So yeah, so that was uh, interesting that uh, when we worked together, it was capital markets uh, risk management and counterparty yeah. risk. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I remember those uh, those days, capital markets risk, enterprise risk. Um, so I'm just curious, um, just just building on the journey that you just started, um, t- tell us a little bit about you personally and, um, you know, your professional journey, that some of that intersection and and where you're at currently. Yeah, so, so I guess nowadays you probably hear a lot of people uh, talking about how do you get into security, it's such a hard field. And, uh, and yeah, like I actually ended up in security by a complete uh, accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, <laughs> uh, when I was uh, finishing up, uh, I was actually in the second year of a 
three-year program at the Seneca College. And I, I was doing computer programming and analysis. So a, a programmer, right? And I, and I had like hard skills, like this was in the late 90s, uh, Java, uh, C++, web development, which was the internet bubble in the late 90s. And uh, so I just started looking for jobs. A lot of my friends were doing co-op uh, programs. I was not doing the co-op program. And uh, when uh, I started looking for jobs, like people just like reached back to me. And and then uh, and I was wondering, you know, why, uh, like it was just so quick that uh, people will reach back and then uh, ask for like interviews. And I was like, well, I, I'm not finished yet with uh, mm-hmm. with my program. Like I'm in second year. Yeah. But uh, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come over for an interview. And uh, so I went uh, for this interview. It was about uh, programming and it was uh, PKI, public yeah. key infrastructure. Like yeah. I had to, yeah. There was no Google at the time or maybe Google wasn't <laughs> big yeah. enough. But uh, I, uh, I went, I think it was AOL search that uh, I went in and I checked and it was, uh, oh, it's like encryption programming, you know, just doing encryption programming and so on. And uh, I went there, I got the job and I just really had no clue what the, you know, public infrastructure was, but they loved my skills because it was all about internet. It was a small startup company. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of how I ended up with my first uh, job in a very small company of like about under 30 people. Yeah. And, uh, and it was like really, really the focus was certificates, encryption, biometrics, and uh, like everything to do with the uh, encryption. It's like a, I did one year there before I actually moved into the banking industry, but it was like so much work. Like we were like a startup company. People work, people like sleep in the office. office. I I wasn't sleeping in the office, but I was uh, getting a ride home like at midnight and so on. And, uh, but it was really interesting work, like certificate uh, management, everything to do with how we secure our websites right our internet facing properties and digital properties which is now now is the basics but back then it was like you know that uh that was the key security aspects of uh implementing a, a web application where people can go and do online banking and things like that so it was really amazing experience yeah. and that's kind of what launched my career into security and uh, like i said i had uh I had to Google what the what the <laughs> PKI and public key infrastructure was, and uh, but uh, yeah, an interesting start. And and the and rest, then, is- yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> the rest is history. I, I work at uh, many banks, Banco Montreal. I worked for sixteen years, CIBC, uh, Scotia Bank. All of the jobs were in uh, doing uh, in my initial eight years uh, uh, in the financial industry was. Uh, programming, uh, working with uh, any uh, cryptographic components that were needed to secure our internet facing and uh, web applications and apps as we know them today, right? Everyone has an app on their phone now. But back then, it was like a huge, huge uh, accomplishment if you can do uh, email money transfer, which was one of the features that I personally work on uh, in the very first uh, feature in uh, in our application at the uh, Bank of Montreal, yeah. where people were now able to do email money transfer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so all of those features, right, paying uh, 
paying bills. Like they were all brand new. Like it's just mm -hmm. amazing the evolution that we had mm -hmm. where people of this generation or my kids, for example, will be like, what? You couldn't pay things online? Yeah. yeah. 2020. I'm talking about like 1999, 2020. And yes, it wasn't a it wasn't a, a common feature yeah. and when the feature came on and uh, how to email money transfer how to view uh, all your bills electronically your statements that, you know that was a big accomplishment uh, from yeah. um from a development perspective but yeah and uh and then i moved on into uh after my development work and doing all of that uh encryption and uh and uh online banking features and so on i moved into uh security the security team working in operations, doing disaster recovery, continuity, business continuity management, which are huge, right? Like, and uh, that became a focus and as a result of 9-11 and 2021, all regulators obviously wanted to have a focus on how uh, disaster recovery is done by organizations, right? Like, I mean, uh, the um, backup sites were destroyed and uh, primary and backup sites were destroyed during the 9-11 events yeah. so that was a huge focus for me um like uh, during that uh, time of uh, uh 20 2005 to late like, 2008 uh building resilience uh, mm -hmm. resilient um, applications and resiliency in our data centers yeah and uh and then we moved to the cloud era, right? <laughs> it was first the data centers and then uh, cloud. And uh, I work in identity and access management. And uh, uh, obviously, I did a little sting in capital markets when I work mm -hmm. with you. Yeah. But then application security, vulnerability management, risk management. And so, yeah, it's uh, that's been my career uh, over the years and uh, over the different uh, financial institutions. Mm -hmm. I did try retail as well. Yeah. Uh, I work a little bit at... Uh, uh, Canadian Tire, but then uh, I moved. Uh, now I'm in a software company, mm -hmm. and it's just really amazing. Uh, I love the culture, and uh, so uh, uh, I'm uh, the chief information security officer, as you mentioned, which gives me uh, very good opportunities to work with the business and uh, and really help with the growth of the organization. And uh, and and we'll talk a little bit more, I guess, uh, through the discussions. But the mm -hmm. evolution, not just technologically. Yeah. But the roles of the organization of the um, of the security organization has changed dramatically, as I have seen over the past twenty three years, yeah. where you know the roles I think were pretty technical and and security didn't really get as involved with the business. Mm -hmm. But it's just such a big difference. Uh, and the evolution that I've seen that we, that we can dip in, uh, dive, dive in later on. And, um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I, absolutely, Maggie. I mean, like, as you were just describing it, you know, a lot of takeaways here. I mean, like you mentioned about some of your pivotal moments uh, with different sectors, but also <laughs> within the evolution of, you know, risk and security application and, um, and it's interesting as you were talking about payments processing or you know secure payments processing. I mean, like some some countries are a lot a lot more um, mature in that aspect. But it's it's good. It was just good to hear that you were you were part of those pioneering teams to actually help build that. Um, which which then comes to you know 
evolution of change. You know, we're going through a lot of change these days, and which means security becomes such a such an important topic. There's a lot of transformation, business digital transformation within companies, and you're in an organization that's you know you know technology oriented at this point. But uh, in your view, taking into consideration the domain of you know security, what, what kind of problems do you in your view, what, what, what do you face in managing security risk that not only looks at the technological aspect, but actually managing the business aspects as well? And considering all these changes that are happening at 100 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think uh, from a secure, managing a security team nowadays really requires more than technical skills, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Whereas before, like uh, I just remember, you know, from like as long as you, if you're in a security team and you know your tech staff and, and you're doing that, but you're doing it like kind of sort of in a back room, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, you're you're not really facing with the business and that, where that's like the huge difference nowadays where you have to, as a security team, you can be fully isolated and like, you know, lurking in the background and and doing things on your own you have to understand the business objectives mm-hmm. and um and that's kind of how i think nowadays that uh, a security uh, CISO or a head of uh, they can make the difference right because yeah. we we have to be there to support the business to support the business growth yeah to support the business objectives to support innovation you mentioned about digital transformation right an actual fact right the small organizations the startup companies they know how to do that very well mm-hmm. they work together they're small enough that there is no silos they everything is automated security is embedded into the uh, the the pipelines mm-hmm. for delivery right the delivery pipelines the the product build the product design the pro- design thinking and all of that like you know it's the small organizations are actually doing it right yeah and uh smbs and so on and what's happened is that and i've worked in very gigantic organizations right like you know fifty thousand employees mm-hmm. hundred thousand employees you know that and that's the the, the my, those large organizations although they may be mature and security but they have there's a friction mm-hmm. right security is working as a silo and uh, and the business has their objectives and there is friction not everything is automated there is no embedding of security and that's why those organizations have taken upon themselves to go through major business transformations that, where they are trying to basically act as a startup company yeah because the startup company, does not have silos, yeah. right? They're all working towards the same thing. They're yeah. all working, the embedded, all the resources are working. There is no security team and there is no like business and, and it's them as, and us. It's about all of us together yeah. doing what's best and removing any frictions and trying to, and the security teams have to work really hard to understand the product inside out. Right. It's all about product. It's not about projects as well. 
yeah. whereas the big organizations that and we work in, in one of them together it was a big project right and then you yeah. operationalize it and, and then the project is done yeah. versus uh smbs they have products mm-hmm. and that's their bread and butter yeah and yeah. the entire organization whether they're in security and marketing customer success they're all trying to figure out what are the best features in terms of security what are the best features in terms of uh customer um features and uh and and how they can help growth together the, the products right yeah. and so right coming from big organizations where I went through all of those different uh, digital transformations and uh, where we started to try and embed security and uh, into all the processes. It's so different when I come into a small organization and it's like, oh, we're just trying to be like a startup company yeah. in the big organizations, Yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, and so that's like kind of like the huge difference that, that I see in that. Uh, and how a leader in security, whether they're in a in a large uh, enough enterprise or an SMB, as a as a business leader, I think it's extremely important that I understand exactly what we're offering to the end user on the street, to the end yeah. customer, yeah. and and how I can make my contribution to it. Yeah, right? it's from it's a security perspective. Yeah, it's it's. Uh... You know, as you were describing it, you know, from a CISO perspective, you're basically connecting your back office, your middle office, and your front office, but also uh, looking at what your uh, your consumers want, and in in alignment with your growth strategy. Um, but I also view you as one of the champions of security within the executive and the board as well to bring some of these topics to light so that you can bring that cohesion across the different teams. Is that that fair? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. Like the business stakeholder is one thing and, and obviously the back office and the, and my peers and, and the technology peers, but the board, I think, you know, and I have been actually doing some training, uh, board training. I'm in the part of the the director's college program, which is run here by McMaster University. There is others like uh, U of T runs it. So I'm in the last uh, um, the last training course that will be coming up actually in uh, December, and uh, I've learned so much, right? Because when I was presenting to the board, and uh, and many organizations, it's kind of like you're trying to like not sound any alarms and you're trying mm-hmm. to be like very, uh, you know, you don't want to to be scary in your presentation to them and, and that things are under control. But when I'm I'm taking the training for the, the board of directors, they're actually looking for transparency in yeah. the reporting that's done to them, right? Yeah. And the, the board of directors are interested, they have a fiduciary duty and also a liability should they not do the right thing yeah. for when risks are um, disclosed to them and they happen not to uh, they happen not to address those risks yeah. within the you know within the appetite of the the risk appetite of the organization or if there are legal risks and so on if they don't address those risks potentially you know there is uh, 
you know, a legal liability. That's why all of the board of directors have insurance. Yeah. Right. They have an in to protect themselves personally from liabilities mm -hmm. because their decisions could, you know, could come back to uh, later to them uh, in a litigation if they don't make the right, they don't help the organization to do the, uh, to make the right uh, decisions. Yeah. And so it's in their best interest for them to receive information that is transparent, mm -hmm. clear, and well articulated as to what the true risk is. In this case, I'm talking about cyber risk. Yeah. It's in the best interest of the management to present the risk the, uh, transparently to inform the board about the cybersecurity risks, right? Mm -hmm. Because in the end, the board of directors are the ones who do the approval of the budgets yeah. and cybersecurity is an organization who typically gets deprioritized yeah. within a big organization yeah. when it comes to getting funding to advance and mature the security programs. Mm -hmm. So I think the leaders before, the security leaders, as they didn't want to create stress at the board or, or you know, potential red flags, I think uh, maybe the, the reporting wasn't as transparent as it should be. And therefore, they've done a disservice to themselves yeah. because yeah. they don't get the budget yeah. that is required for them to actually advance and mature the security program. Yeah, yeah. It's actually in our best interest as the yeah. CISO or the head of security to to be transparent with the board, right? As to mm -hmm. the actual cyber risk that we have, the yeah. gaps uh, that potentially the weak controls that we may have in the organization. Mm -hmm. And for that, there's a lot of work required, right? Because you can't just come up to, to um, a conversation or a presentation to the board of directors without any information. And that's where also there is a lot of due diligence that needs to be done by um, a CISO where, uh, or their, the head and the, and, and the security team where they need to be able to have conducted enough due diligence so that when we show up in front of the board, we, we have evidence yeah. That, uh, you know, why are we saying that this is not uh, mature enough and so on? And there is so many frameworks. Um, but then again, when you're talking about risk, you have to be able to articulate risk, right? So yeah. Yeah. Um, as a CISO, I had to learn to understand and how do I speak risk to like executives, mm -hmm. to um, the board of directors, because everything can, can get lost in translation exactly. if they're not understanding. And like I said, that's the evolution that I've seen over the, where some of the, the cybersecurity um, information and daily stuff is quite operational. Yeah. And it can get very confusing and yeah. it's very technical and there's a lot of jargon. And if you have a CISO that comes into the board, they're not gonna be understood, right? Yeah. So, so it has to be uh, a CISO, I think, in, in my experience, uh, has to have the ability to present, to speak risk in a way that is not confusing, non-technical jargon, yeah. and that can get the attention of the board members 
because if you do that, then you can get the appropriate funding yeah. for yeah. the maturing of the program, right? Yeah. And, and, and security is a never-ending job, right? It's not like, oh, okay, we're going to mature it from one to three and we're done and we can pack our bags and go home. It's, you know, so much sophistication, new threats, new new attacks that then we need to uh, keep evolving yeah. and, and keep uh, refreshing the program, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, to keep up with the different um, changes that happen on a daily basis. Yeah. But that ability is extremely important to, to be uh, someone who can understand how to speak to the cyber risk to the business and how to market the program to uh, to the C-level and also to, to the board of directors. Yeah, it's 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 such an important aspect because um, you know you mentioned about funding and budgeting and 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 so forth, which is which is all very good. Uh, and with the evolution of change as well, with um, when we look at cybersecurity, for example, many companies some sometimes are very just oblivious. If you even look at the board, for example, you know they don't really think of that as a. Uh, as something that might really impact them and uh, the decisions that they need to make when um, when there is a crisis, for example. I remember when I was, uh, it was actually last last year in one of the boards that I was in, there was actually a cyber threat <laughs> and it became into a crisis and, and, you know, we had to invoke cyber security measures from the board level and interestingly they this company did not have processes in place did not have frameworks in place but there were some individuals who knew how to deal with it so it was in in crisis management at that point but but what i'm trying to describe here is just echo what you mentioned it's such an important aspect when the CISO comes in and speaks to the board and to the you know executive committee on the the role of cybersecurity or security as a whole and what what is needed and why it's needed why why it's needed and why the the board needs to be taking that into consideration at a very at a high level as an agenda item so very much Absolutely. very much in line with what you just described and many many companies just don't do that it's 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 very appalling. So it's very good that you're actually doing the the program that actually describes <laughs> the need for directors to be <laughs> held accountable to this. Yeah. Right. And and you mentioned one of the things, right? Like it's there, I think there is lack of uh, like when you look at the board composition, right? Mm -hmm. And the board composition has always focused on like finance, right? Exactly. Like somebody who knows the PNL. And but this is such a big risk for it's one of the trending risks, right? The top risks for organizations that uh, the board composition needs to be where there is somebody knowledgeable in the board for that is a cyber expert, but also the rest of people uh, in the board, uh, the board members need to have education. Yeah. Right? At least like ongoing education about the latest exactly. uh, cyber yeah. threats. And you know most boards will meet on a on a quarterly basis, yeah. so it's really one of the things that, um, from my perspective, right, especially working in in big organizations where, like, I, I was able to create material that can be presented to the board, 
whether it was me or my boss, who was the, uh, the chief security officer or the CISO at, at the time when I was uh, when I was reporting into a CISO, to be able for to create awareness mm-hmm. about the latest trends, yeah. about uh, uh, about the latest uh, at least it's a topic of discussion, right? Yeah. It's like a standing item in the agenda yeah. where it kind of brings some thought and and the board members can actually ask questions and educate themselves and perhaps go and Google it after, you know, if they didn't understand something or ask questions. Are we also, um, you know, at the risk of this threat, for example? And 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 so they can ask, you know, smarter questions as they keep uh, getting more educational material, right? And not, not to mention, like, you know, key risk indicators and metrics that are, you know, cyber related should always be on the on the board agenda. Yeah. Uh, but I think there is a lot, a lot of room for growth. Yeah. One of the reasons I'm pursuing this uh uh, certificate for a for a charter director because I think there is a, a lack of board members that have uh, you know the training uh, and and it's just the same as you know at all levels of security right in the ranks uh, entry level uh, mid level there is just simply a gap of cybersecurity skill uh, talent yeah and and like I was saying right it's not just at the board level, but all across the uh, the different ranks the of uh, security yeah. teams, yeah. right? So, uh, so yeah. I think it's important to, uh, as a security leader, to make sure that uh, they're well informed, and and there is educational material always presented to them, so they can keep uh, understanding uh, what the risk is about and and how they can deal with it. Yeah, you know, Maggie, you uh, you highlighted quite a few things in terms of um, you know building that you know, um, awareness and the skills and so forth. And you're a leader in your own right, Maggie. So is, is any anything, and you've touched on this, but is anything that you want to highlight in terms of a, a leadership lesson that you've uh, learned or, uh, you know, exhibited, which has transformed the way you lead or operate currently? Anything that you want to kind of share briefly? Yeah, I think one of the biggest lessons really, right, having seen the transformation and the evolution of all uh, uh, of my uh, roles, specifically uh, security roles in the industry, mm-hmm. uh, the biggest lesson learned is that uh, like we need to work together with the business and understand their objectives, understand what we sell, right? If we don't, even if we're security leaders, but we don't understand what we are selling, yeah. Uh, then it's really hard for us to be able to accommodate uh, and the security and, and make it less frictionless, right? Because it, 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 no question about it, security creates friction, Yeah. right? Yeah. And we need to be able to balance that. So that's one of the biggest lessons that uh, once I started understanding that and how I can be a business enabler, yeah. uh, I think my... I was able to in my career to even to have more appreciation for the role that my team does, right? Like the business will now bring me into their town hall meeting. And it's like, oh, what is a security person presenting in the in the business town hall? Yeah. And it's because they start to have that appreciation. Yeah. Right. So so that's kind of one of the biggest lessons that that you know it doesn't matter how much, and sometimes that's a focus, unfortunately 
is something that I think culturally speaking, uh, the security teams have been kind of, um, it's been ingrained into our mentalities that you have to be like super efficient, yeah. super knowledgeable, technically like competent. And all of that is true, Yeah. right? Like you need competency in the technical aspects, but you also need competency in relationship management, True. building relationships and good rapport with the business. Because mm -hmm. if the business doesn't see us, security as enablers, and we are blockers to them mm -hmm. and the growth of the business, then that's just the biggest lesson. Like yeah. security is not going to get the funding. Security is not going to get the props when we do something good. And that's uh, that's just one of the biggest lessons we cannot, uh, I cannot stress enough how important it is to to be uh, a very good um, partner to the business, yeah. to be able to uh, to survive and have your team, uh, you know, uh, be appreciated for the work that we do because we, we do work hard. Yeah. It's just that <laughs> if, it's not, if it's not seen by anybody, then yeah. nobody's going to appreciate it, right? Yeah, and and again, Maggie, you've touched on this one, but um, what what advice do you have for people who want to either pivot to a career in cybersecurity or maybe even to get into you know cybersecurity? There is a lot of opportunities uh, to get into cyber roles. There is so many people and uh, and postings and openings that are vacant. There's some issues that I've seen in terms of, uh, you know, the match, uh, because it's uh, there is such a diverse field. It's not just about technical. We now need like people that are from marketing to come in and do training, security mm -hmm. training. I was talking about earlier about decks that I created myself for the board of directors. Well, it would be nice if I can just have a communications person do exactly. that, and I can just give the technical aspects, and they can prettify. Um, a deck for the board, right? And and um, so there is such a diversified field that we often have so many roles open and vacant, so many people looking for a job and an inability to match them up with the right roles, right? So my advice to people would be, and, and I believe still the HR practices are not quite up with uh, the speed of how things have changed, the different uh, skill sets that are required, right? Like, I mean, if you're looking for an accountant, you know exactly what the accountant should yeah. should should have, right? Like, they should be a, like a finance person and and you know have some CPA, CMA certifications, yeah. and yeah. there is like a million of certifications in security as well. Some are for for one specific area of expertise. Others are. So I, I think, I truly believe that, you know, when we're working with our HR partners, there, there's so much to know about it that they, they can't grasp all of it yeah. yet, right? To mm -hmm. the extent that I had to sometimes say, okay, don't filter anybody out, just send me the resumes, right? Yeah, yeah. Because like, I don't want the good candidates to filter out because it's just um, such a diverse set of skill sets that we may be looking for yeah. and that, when I'm looking at the resumes, I might see, oh, here's, you know, here's the, uh, this person is not good for this role, but, oh, wow, this is amazing for that other role. Yeah, true. But true. 
but from an HR perspective, they, they couldn't know that, right? Like it's just, uh, it's not fair for us to expect them to, to know that, right? Unless they're, they have a long tenure of just filling roles in security, which we've started to do nowadays, yeah. right? Because we need actually specialized HR people for security recruiting, yeah. right? And so my advice to people would be like, just don't rely on submitting a resume into a machine that might uh, uh, disqualify them for like some keywords, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. network, 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 and network. Uh, because that is one of the main ways how I myself have found different jobs, yeah. right? And um, just go to conferences, networking events there's so many that happen online they're free many of them uh and networking on linkedin and uh, just have the opportunity to have kind of like a direct discussion with the person that with a hiring manager yeah right because yeah. they can see the value of you mentioned pivoting from one thing that maybe is it yeah. into security True. versus uh I think sometimes like the tools that uh, that the candidates submit their application to is just pre-scanning for specific words and it just you know um, basically filters out a good candidate yeah. that otherwise could be an excellent person. I've yeah. hired so many people yeah. directly yeah. from like you know from campus from a from a job uh, boards at the at the universities or or colleges where it's just much better to do the match. Uh, you do need a little bit extra time on both sides, on the candidate side and as well on the on the hiring person because, you know, let's face it, if you're so busy and you think like HR, uh, the HR partner will feature like, you know, mm -hmm. 10 of the best candidates out of 200 submissions, you are going to want to rely on them, right? Yeah. But if you see that the 20 filtered candidates are actually not very good, then like I, I just want to see the big pool. Yeah. Like yeah. are those 200? Like and, and then that's kind of where I've seen these situations happen yeah. where the filter candidates, the shortlisted ones came to me and I was like, oh like this like no that's this is not the ones that we're looking for. Can I see the bigger pool of candidates and and then I'll kind of end up doing the job myself of where oh that's more work for the higher money, right? Yeah. But do I want to have a role posted for a year when there is so much work? Yeah. And, you know, it sometimes requires me to do that extra work yeah. so that I so that I can fill a seat, right? And, yeah. and that's, uh, unfortunately, yeah. those are the issues that I'm seeing. Yeah. And, uh, and the advice to people that might be frustrated out there mm -hmm. with trying, applying for so many jobs, and many of them now have like university degrees that are security related, mm -hmm um degrees and and they're having trouble finding jobs and it's because of these issues that we're still having and the yeah. to be able to cater yeah. with specialized knowledge uh, perhaps hr uh, specialized knowledge into cybersecurity, uh and and there's just so many postings that go you know unfilled yeah. for months yeah. if not years right and uh, yeah. and that's it, uh unfortunately it, an issue yeah, it's and it's good that you've you know you recognize that issue, but it's also great to hear how progressive minded you are to actually even 
you know, reach out to some of these candidates and make the effort yourself to, um, or even people, you know, qualified people or people who are willing to, to come in and try out, but to, to support in that process of uh, selecting and, you know, talent acquisition and bringing in the right people into the whole mix and helping them grow so it's it's really great to great to hear and speaking of um you know we're all busy professionals uh keen to hear about uh, uh you maggie what what does a day in the life of maggie look like morning to evening <laughs> very busy <laughs> fortunately fortunately in my current uh, company uh, i don't have too many uh i don't have meeting fatigue yeah uh, because we we meet with purpose it's an amazing culture and uh and we 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 uh we have uh show weeks as well and uh but uh yeah when I was in uh in the major FIs I was meeting like from eight o'clock if not earlier seven a.m. to like six p.m. back to back yeah uh with no rest even at lunchtime and uh those situations you know they tend to be like that the bigger the organization is. And if you're remote only, then the only time you can catch somebody is really by putting a, a, a meeting calendar there. Yeah. And uh, so we, we try to get away from those practices um, in, in my organization where, uh, so I get my day, right? Just to summarize, it's, you know, just uh, take a few meetings during the day. I do have quiet time to do work, uh, checking, you know, with the, my my operations staff, any, uh, uh, there is, monitoring and so on that happens uh so my team is always on uh on, on it and uh you know there is uh events that need to be uh looked up and uh, investigated and uh, and yeah that's really pretty much the same across all organizations yeah yeah, uh, yeah. when i was in risk management it's really about responding to client questionnaires tons of questionnaires and questions about the maturity of your controls uh, leading projects as well we have we still have projects right because we're always updating things or implementing things or or improving something so yeah essentially that's kind of what uh, uh, a day goes uh, by and uh, uh, I guess uh, I'm not too uh, uh, when it's like a financial institution if you might remember we're always meeting with regulators mm -hmm. uh, so that decreases if the organization is not very regulated, sure. right? Sure. So, uh, like obviously, the financial institutions are highly regulated. So I will meet with at least four different regulators in a month, right? Mm -hmm. And we yeah. have a lot of preparation for those. But uh, if it's a non-financial, not federally regulated, then you don't have a lot of meetings with uh, with regulators. But that uh, you still obviously have to manage to comply to regulations and so on yeah uh, but yeah so that's kind of what uh, it looks like so a lot of you know operational work a lot of compliance regulatory helping you know respond to uh to clients and, and customer questions but uh yeah which is something that that has changed absolutely over the years where mm -hmm. you know more organizations are do doing their due diligence yeah yeah. And so they, before they do business with you, you you basically you know asking all sorts of questions so you can conduct your due diligence and risk assessments, and uh, and that essentially you're trying to prevent your uh, 
like I do a lot of work, right? Any vendors that uh, we do a lot of risk assessments uh, to uh, understand their security posture yeah. and whether we actually want, do they have any risk? Do, do we want to do business with them? And, and it's really to manage uh, third-party supplier risk. So yeah. so a lot of work on risk assessments, right, uh, as well. So Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Maggie, we're coming to a close. Any uh, closing messages you want to uh, to share? Uh, very brief, or a number one tip that you want to give uh, to, you know, business owners or businesses uh, very briefly? Yeah, I guess, uh, well, since I'm in security, obviously, you know, uh, the one uh, tip would be that uh, uh, to manage cyber risk, right? Mm -hmm. Try to do your best as a whether you're a small business or a medium size or a large organization, uh, cyber risk is the top number one uh, risk for all organizations uh, with so many threats facing the increase over, over the, uh, the pandemic. They haven't really gone away. That seems to now be the new norm, yeah. uh, very sophisticated threats. And uh, so do your best to have an understanding of what uh, your security posture is. Uh, if it's a business owner, uh, especially a small business owner, I think uh, any cyber crisis event yeah. uh, they essentially wipe the business. So it's extremely important to to be diligent about managing cybersecurity risk in the best uh, possible way. Okay, wonderful, Maggie. You know, thank you very much for uh, for sharing your your wisdom uh, and your insights. Um, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate your uh, invitation and I uh, look forward to, uh, you know, keeping in touch. Wonderful. Thank you, Maggie. Okay, folks, thank you very much for listening in and stay tuned for our next episode where we hear from the executive of a Fortune 100 company and how they are creating a new business. So stay tuned for our next episode on this and uh, speak soon. Hey, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You're now seeing this part of the video also because you consume some of my content, insights and teachings. Maybe you've been to my LinkedIn page or website or seen other social media ads or listened to my podcast. I'm Stephen Paul, a business and transformational executive coach, strategic advisor, leader and board member. I've been in diverse roles, corporate executive, entrepreneur, and worked with businesses and firms of all sizes, built and launched businesses, created high impact boards and so forth in four continents. I get it. I've been there, done that. But what is different is I bring a unique perspective and a playbook. I've helped 100 plus business leaders just like you to scale and align their leadership top teams, the board and overall business for growth. Leaders like Ivana from medium-sized company in the EU who grew 150% and expanded globally in under five months. After she started to work with me over facilitated session, sessions in an initial three days, I helped fine-tune their strategy and align their leadership team and board to be a cohesive driving force to achieve their dreams and outcomes. I want to teach you the same thing and more on how to scale and align your leadership team and board so you can increase your business growth and value. Get clarity on what is the next right strategy for you. There are multiple ways we can work with you. Number one, click the link for a free non-obligatory 
60-minute initial strategic session. Let's get a feel for your dreams, your vision, your challenges, and let me convert that into a route map for you where we can co-develop and co-pilot. Number two, enroll in an innovative and intuitive digital online course that I have curated, created to help you transform. It's called Unshakable Resilience. It is the ultimate program for individuals and business leaders like you who want to be equipped at a personal and professional level to respond to any form of challenges or in crisis situations and take on opportunities with grit, resilience, and build a mindset of success. In essence, you want to be unshakable, thrive in crisis, take on opportunities in the face of adversity, and build a success mindset. So click the link below to learn more on how I can personally help you individually and your firm to scale and align your leadership team and business and pivot in a transformational way. And for you to experience this, whatever the challenge you're facing, get in touch with me. Let's discuss and I will share my insight rapidly to enable your transformation. Click the links below.